0: Welcome, I'm Ross Young, and I'm here with G. Mark Hardy, and we are excited to share with you CISO Tradecraft. Just as a quick background in case you haven't heard our show before, CISO Tradecraft is a podcast designed to help folks in the information security community learn the techniques, methods, and technologies in the industry. The show focuses on helping mentor the next generation of cyber leaders take information security skills to an executive level. With that, I'm excited to present to you today's show.
1: Well, hello again. This is G. Mark Hardy, and I'm privileged to be here with Ross Young for another episode of CISO Tradecraft. As you know, we're bringing you useful skills and knowledge that will help you in your career as you advance toward the goal of becoming a CISO, or if you are a CISO, to become a much better one. Today, we want to talk about the concept of executive presence, the idea of being able to inspire confidence, not only in your subordinates to say, hey, wow, this is a person that they want to follow, but also confidence among your peers that you're capable, that you're reliable, that you're viewed as somebody that's really part of the team. But of course, really most importantly, perhaps, inspiring that confidence and respect among the senior leaders that you've earned that C in your CISO title, the chief. So Ross and I found an outstanding article by Jerry Valentine entitled Executive Presence. What is it? Why you need it and how to get it. We'd like to go in a little bit more detail to explain how we believe this can help you in your career and your role as a cybersecurity professional. Ross, what are your thoughts about why do we need executive presence?
0: Well, I I saw this a lot in my career when you're looking at someone who is that entry-level manager trying to come up through the ranks. And this was the inevitable gotcha that really was tough for a lot of technical folks, right? They're coming out of being a senior manager and they're trying to become a director for the first time. And this is where somebody says, okay, when we make someone a director for our company or for our organization, we're essentially knighting them to be the future leaders of the company, right? And and when we think about that, they're going to be here a long time. They're going to have a lot of impact. We're giving them authority to make really important decisions and also lead larger teams. So before we do that, we want to make sure whoever we're knighting to become a director in this company Has that gravitas that's really going to be the leadership we need for our organization.
1: Yeah, and I think what we find then is that there are, of course, examples and counter examples. And part of what we're looking at in terms of executive presence is that we can learn an awful lot from those who've been successful. I wouldn't necessarily say try to take lessons from the outliers, the idea that, hey, just show up in a ragged t shirt and You know raggy dirty jeans and have unshaven for a week that works great if you're the self-made billionaire founder of a company but in general for those of us who are working at the CISO level that's not going to be the recipe for success what we will have to do is be recognized as i say from a couple perspectives one we want to inspire the confidence from our leadership team to say wow yeah you're right this person is ready for a candidate for the next level But also from our technical people that they don't view you so far out of it uh, that you're not addressable.
0: Exactly. So, as we start to think about, hey, I want to have an executive role in cybersecurity and we need to get there, and we focus on these mid level management wins and getting our career on track, it it really comes down to seven key steps. And the first step we're going to talk about today is having a vision and being able to articulate it well. So whenever we talk about a strategy or a vision, there's three points to this that we need to understand. One, it's about understanding who the vision is for. Is it the customer? Is it the organization? And understanding them as a person or as a company. The second is understanding where we want them to go in the future. What's the objective or goal for that customer or organization? And lastly, what is the bridge that actually gets someone there? And as we start to think about this, this is really how we articulate an effective vision. This well-conceived notion of looking for what we want to accomplish and making sure it's scoped for the level of impact that we can do in our current role. I shouldn't have a vision for the finance office, if I'm a cyber officer, it just doesn't make any sense. And and I need to know what are the visions I can push on and make wins, and what are the visions that are too hard to do. And that and, that, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more later on the political savviness, but it's really about making your vision work. It's what really sets you apart from the other. Individuals in your office, and it's a powerful tool for inspiring confidence.
1: It's also a key component of being recognized as a leader. In a prior life, I, as the commanding officer of the Center for Naval Leadership, and in that role, I had 180 or so instructors. We had 72 classrooms, and we taught 10,000 sailors a year or more principles of leadership. And one of the things when I get people together, and we'd pull out the whiteboard and brainstorm and say, what are the characteristics of leaders? And one thing always ended up on every single sheet, that's vision, visionary. A vision is the concept of being able to see something in the future that represents a better state, but more importantly, our ability to communicate and relate that back to others. So one of the things we want to think about is from a vision perspective is can others engage in that? One of the ways that we talk about in terms of thinking about the future is something that we've always talked about like an elevator talk or an elevator pitch. The idea of an elevator pitch suggests what? That you're meeting up with an executive and you've got a 45 second ride on an elevator. And they look at you and says, hey, G-Mark, you're a security guy. What's going on in security these days? Well, one thing you do not want to do, one way to not communicate your vision, in this particular case, because it's going to be failing with the audience, is to go all technical on them. Oh, I'm glad you asked, because we got a whole bunch of TCP IP packets with a SINFIN flag cross-carring or a .cn that's coming for the wrong IP address. I think we better need to do a DNS with the go-ahead and do the DNS sec, because we validate this stuff. And yeah, that might be stuff you need to do, but you know what's going to happen. They're going to say, security, get these weirdos off the executive elevator. And it's not going to work out too well. So that miscommunication is going to cost you. Think in advance about how you're going to communicate your ideas to others. Your technical folks are going to view it one way. Your management team is going to view it another. So have some talking points prepared in advance and be ready to move those in a disciplined manner and always have a call to action. I think Zig Ziglar, who is famous for doing sales training, said it best. The best closing line is... Press hard, you're making three copies. And so instead of having something like that on your elevator pitch, it's a better way to communicate that vision. Relate it to what is important to your audience. In this case, if you got a CEO on the elevator with you, what could you talk about? Hey boss, as a company that develops vaccines, we're finding an increased amount of attempts to steal our intellectual property and they're coming from overseas. And if they steal our IP, we're going to not be able to file the patent. It's going to affect our stock price. It's going to affect our marketability and our reputation, as well as maybe get us in trouble with the right place. Um, we can do something about that. Is that. A, now, you know, yeah, That's important. You've, you've, you've communicated your vision for going ahead and putting in the security protections that you want that maybe you didn't have the budget for prior to senior management seeing things the way they need to see them to understand your vision.
0: Yeah, I I really like this idea of telling something to people that they're going to care about and they're going to be vested in. I think the importance here is it's not just my vision, but if people can opt in and it's our vision, you get that buy-in. And that's what really builds the bridge of trust and partnerships, right?
1: Yeah, people will potentially follow you because of your positional authority. in in my previous life in the military, I had the privilege to get a master's from the Army War College. And one of the things they did is they do a 360 leadership review where they talk to your peers, they talk to your superiors, they talk to your subordinates, and they try to piece together everybody's perspective of your leadership goals and styles. And then, interestingly enough, they align those or they match them up with your own self-perception. And it's interesting sometimes to see how Others experience you, which we'll be talking about in a moment, versus how you experience yourself. And if you've never had that opportunity to have some candid feedback from others, you'll find out what it is you do well or don't do well. And one of the things that I happened to learn was that uh, the psychologists, the people who do the debrief, they said, one of the things we found interpreting the data for you, Captain, is that you have a vision. You can see things that other people can't see. You're three and four steps ahead of everyone else. But you need to build a bridge back to your troops. They'll follow you because you're in command, but they won't know why until they get there and go, wow, this is pretty cool. How did we end up here? So if you are a visionary, you have to also focus on breaking down that vision into discrete steps so that those who will help you implement it, those who follow you, get it as well. And you have to be able to reinforce that. And you can't always operate four moves ahead, even though that's the way you're thinking. Sometimes you have to drop back three, two, and one.
0: Okay. So now that we have a vision, we're able to articulate it. I I think your next point really is is the second example here we want to focus on, which is understanding how other people experience us. right? And if you think about it, I don't know if anybody's ever watched that show, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but in the show, you have Ben Stein, who's a teacher, and he's just very boring, like the the most boring high school or college professor you ever had, who just everybody drowns off to sleep. And and that's an example of not having that self-awareness Prevents him from being able to change his speaking style. But it can be more than just speaking, right? It can be, hey, if everybody always gets the experience that you're only in it for yourself and you don't really care about the company or you're only focused on money, that's going to draw certain conclusions and relationships from that. And so what we need to think about it this way Imagine this, you're really tired. And you get a phone call from a friend who says, hey, I need you to, to help me with something. Are you going to be willing to help that person get and, and take an hour out of your time to do it? Now, the difference between yes or no is how people have experienced you mostly. And, and, and what I mean by that is there's going to be some amazing people who help you no matter what just because they're amazing people. But there's a lot of people who will be like, Hey, I want to go spend the night with Elon Musk, or I want to go spend the night with somebody who is amazing, right? And 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 it's that gravitas figure that everybody thinks is going to be an epic night, and if you can have those sorts of things, that's really going to bring up your executive presence. What do you think, G Mark?
1: Well, I I think that when we you brought a couple things up, Ross. One one of them is who are you? So if we go back to Mueller, Mueller. And I, I think we find out that that character, everybody can kind of identify with uh, the fairly boring, unanimated individual. But from time to time, we find out that people ascend positions of responsibility based upon characteristics other than their communication skills. We've often seen that sometimes when we see either executives or even perhaps politicians doing like, how in the world did that person get there when they can't even communicate clearly, yet they were able to do so perhaps for other means. So think about yourself and be yourself. I'm not saying be somebody different. If you happen to be naturally humorous, that's great. But one of the more embarrassing things I've seen would be, for example, an executive getting up for a podium or a post-dinner speech and bringing out a little piece of paper. Um, Is this on? Okay. Uh, uh, Good evening, everyone. Um, Okay. Uh, Two guys walked into a bar. And they they try to start out with some sort of a candidate. It doesn't work. Trust me. I mean, the joke is really on them. So when others experience you as an executive presence, I think you mentioned kind of the word gravitas. It's a transition for a lot of us when we go from being in a technical background where you be. Of one of the gang, and hey, everything's a little bit of back slapping and having fun. To yeah, it probably exists also at the executive suite, but we're not always invited to play like that yet. You have to kind of start out a little bit more formal, and then once you are quote unquote in the club, you get to be a little bit more accepted for that. But ultimately, external perceptions matter a lot, it matters for our customers. It matters for our investors and it matters for the press, as well as the general public to see somebody who is well composed and is well established and knows what you're doing. If you get excitable, if your emotions get the better of you, if you're unable to stay on topic or on target because you're easily distracted, now that's something you do need to work on. That could become a limiting factor. But also, how do we know if we're doing it right? It'd be great if you can get some feedback. Trusted coworkers or friends who can tell you when you're wrong or, or perhaps missing a point, uh, and be willing to graciously accept feedback. Even if you disagree at the moment, one of the things that frustrates me is that when you try to share some advice to somebody to improve what they're doing, and the first thing they do is they turn around and they attack you for something sort of similar. I think we probably know people like Hopefully, we don't know ourselves like that. But if our friends tell us that's what we do, count to 10. When someone gives you some feedback and you disagree with it, don't get defensive. Count to Ten, And if you really disagree, maybe you've got to count farther than that. The point is what? If people care about you, they're going to be willing to speak up because there's a risk involved. And if somebody ventures to take that risk and explain how you might be able to better present, how you might be able to better communicate, And you attack them for that. Guess what? You just lost a valuable source of feedback, and you're left wondering, why am I not successful? I don't get it. When in fact, the answer had been there for you all along, if you were just willing to listen.
0: Yeah, I I like these two points of composure and, and feedback for understanding how others experience you. And the key lesson learned here, I would say, is sometimes as a boss, you want to talk to your subordinates for feedback. But also remember that they may not give you the feedback you're looking for because they work for you. You're grading them on their promotions and other things. So make sure you're having open and honest conversations with the wide variety of audience to get to the truth to how the perception about you really is in the company.
1: And also one other last thought here is that there is a, a saying that I always thought had a lot of wisdom in it, and it went along the lines like this. I don't know the secret to success, but the secret to failure is trying to make everybody happy. Now, we can look at that and we can say, yeah, that that makes good sense. Now, today, it wasn't as popular as an author as it was when Bill Cosby first mentioned that decades ago. But we find out there's a lot of truth in the concept that you have to, at some point in time, focus on being able to be yourself by being able to communicate effectively. And understanding that as others see you, you want to see them see you as you. So develop your identity, but make sure it's not an identity that people are going to object to and say, how do we get this person out of this company?
0: So the third skill of executive presence we want leaders to focus on is building of communication skills. Good leadership is ultimately about communication, and people with great presence are excellent communicators. And you can think about it, it's both in terms of written ability and virtually every speaking engagement that you have. And it's so useful in every situation. So think about what you want from this engagement right? Is this a, a meeting where we're talking about information? Is this a call to action? And did you set up the right communication to engage people to drive the intended outcomes? And as you really focus on that and making sure that you're being heard and people really enjoy listening to you, those are some of the things that are really going to help you in your career.
1: And if you're going to be using the spoken word, don't use the extra ones. One of the things that I had had to train myself over the years is being able to look at things such as what we call fillers. One of the things I don't think you'll hear me say very often, or if I do, catch me on it, this is kind of like the swear jar is for some people, is, you know, like, um, um, sort of, kind of. One of the difficulties is that as presenters, as speakers, almost as people in general, We tend to not appreciate the value of silence. When things
2: go silent, even for a couple of seconds,
1: it starts to get uncomfortable a little bit, doesn't it? You're like, wait a minute, where'd it go? And so there's a natural tendency to fill that in. Resist that. When you stop to think, when you're trying to compose yourself, make it such that your words all matter. From time to time, you'll see transcripts, and when you look at transcripts of, for example, politicians, as those usually those folks who get transcripted, if that is such a verb, you will find all of the fillers, and the ums, and the ahs, and the repeats, and things such as that, which looks a little bit discontinuity. I think, as you look at it, it just doesn't look right as compared to, what if this were written out? It would be written out much better. So build your speaking skills. Consider. Organizations, perhaps, like Toastmasters, where you can go and and practice your presentation skills. Years ago, one of the very best words of advice I got was, G-Mark, speak every chance you get. I got that when I went to work for Booz Allen, and that was almost 40 years ago. Wow, that's scary. But I took that advice, and my first public presentation was on the same platform as the late Admiral Grace Hopper wow, that's a pretty neat opportunity to start my career, and she was wrapping up hers. Now I've presented to tens of thousands of people at hundreds of venues over the years. Public speaking now comes much more naturally than ever did at the beginning, where I'm sure I probably made every mistake in the book.
0: So the next one we want to focus on is becoming an excellent listener. And the phrase goes that everybody has two ears and one mouth, so you should be listening twice as much as speaking. But I I think there's something more to this. People love to talk. And when you listen to them, you're building a connection because they know that you're interested in hearing what they have to say. Even if that may not be true, it appears that way at least, right? And so people with great executive presence are really exceptional listeners and it's not just uh you know you're you're ignoring your wife when she's asking you to do something it's they give full attention they ask great questions clarifying questions and they use different techniques known as active listening skills as a way to engage others with important ideas and explore those and when they do that it demonstrates that they're eager to learn they're eager to partner. And together, we're having fun spending time together. G-Mark, what are some active listening skills you've seen that have worked and been really effective for, for folks wanting to have executive presence?
1: Ross, that's an excellent thought. And first of all, is you want to make sure that you retain your context. What do I mean by that? It's easy to be quiet and look like you're listening. But if you're not paying attention because you got your head down, texting, or you're web surfing, or daydreaming, you might appear to be in rapt attention when, in fact, obviously you're not. So for active listening skills as compared to passive, what we're suggesting is that the listener engage in a two-way dialogue with the other party. Ask open-ended questions, not just yes or no, but how would you do this? And What is a good strategy for this? Request clarification. If a point is uncertain, be willing to ask for a little bit more. I've talked to some people who, when they explain a technical concept to me, because I do a lot of teaching, a lot of instruction, I tend to break things down into components. There is a tendency, if you're technical, to go ahead and start from a level where you believe your listener. Is already up there, and you're probably not. So, if you're a listener, request clarification. As I said, be attentive and make sure that you're listening to the other person and you're not daydreaming, but also consider the idea of summarizing or paraphrasing what the other speaker is saying. So, Ross, what I heard you say was being an excellent listener is extremely important because it means that other people will perceive you as being able to. And and something like that. And if if you get it right, they can say yes. If you get it wrong, then you ask for clarification. Uh,
2: Be attuned to feelings. We're not querying a chatbot. We're querying another human being. And
1: some people get very defensive when somebody is asking clarification or trying to go ahead and ask questions. They think that their authority is being challenged. Try to understand where this other person is coming from. If they don't have their ego tied up in the argument and what they're saying, then you're probably okay. I'm willing, and I used to tell this to my sailors all the time, is that what we want to make sure is that we proceed and we do things what's best for the command, what's best for everybody. And it's important that we all understand. So if you don't understand, please ask. I ask my, my audiences. When I teach a technical topic, when I know there's non-technical people out there, I'm looking for that active listener. I'm looking for the person who says, "Hey, G. Mark, could you explain again how this works?" Because for every person who speaks up, there's a dozen or more who probably are facing the same question. And so, by you having the courage to be an active listener, by being able to get clarification, to summarize, paraphrase, to ask probing questions. What you'll find out then is that there are others in that room who are really going to kind of appreciate you for that because, well,
2: vocalize what they wanted to say, but they wouldn't. Now, be careful because you can speak too much. If we go back and we've ever heard the
1: phrase that it's better to be silent and thought a fool to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's been ascribed to Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, other different orators, but it should go all the way back. That's in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning they hold their tongues. A lot of people do enjoy speaking. And Ross, as you pointed out, a lot of people enjoy being with people who are listeners. And if you think about your own, experience. Have you ever been to a party? Have you ever been to an event? Who's the best conversationalist you've ever been with? The person who lets you keep talking. So keep that in mind and you'll find that that's also a little critical element of success, being an executive.
0: I like it. I like it. So changing thoughts a little bit to the fifth topic here is cultivating your network and building a political savvy. And if you think about it, The higher up you go, it's less about you doing the work by yourself as an individual contributor. The role is changing where you have to have influence. And we had a whole separate episode on that. But building a network is so important. Just think of it this way. When your boss is in a room and he's giving all sorts of instructions, or if he's the one who's actively listening, Who does your boss pay the most attention to? Who is the boss asking for concurrence before he approves something with? That's probably someone you want to be on really good terms with, right? Because if you and that person are on the same page, then the boss is likely to be on the same page with you. And so understanding little politics and savviness like this are ways where you can put yourself in a good standing Cultivate a network of relationships and you need to understand little things. So, for example, let's say you needed to get promoted. Would you know who the people who are going to be on the promotion panel? Have you had lunches with those people before? And, and I know that's a very like in the weeds example, but understanding who makes the decisions is an important part of being able to cultivate a uh, network. Go ahead.
1: And I think you've raised an excellent point there, is that this political savvy is huge. One of the things I had noticed with my buddies who had made Admiral, and I didn't, is that they had different approaches. One of them got a job as the MC at the All Flag Officers Conference, an outstanding captain who was then visible to all the other admirals. And that fall, when the admirals got together to pick the next batch of admirals, everybody knew who this person was and saw him in action. I had another friend who, in his last tour of duty, had a three-year tour, said, my goal is to meet every admiral in the Navy and was able to do so through attending at different events, etc. When his record came up and my record came up at the same time, I mean, he had an outstanding record. I believe I did, too. But at the same time, it's who you're going to pick, the person you know or the person you don't know. And so it turns out that your network is your net worth. Is a saying that's been given over and over again. I think Mark Hansen used to say that, and there's other folks who said that as well. But it's a reminder that investing in others is going to add value to your own career.
0: And, and I love that, that quote of your network is your net worth. And let me put one more comment on that. Make sure your network doesn't expire right? If your brand and in connect, in connections is with everybody who is above you and they all retire, and then you have no more political allies in the organization, you're going to find yourself in a very difficult spot. And, and so have a diverse set of network that endures in order to have the best opportunities.
1: Excellent point. And so while you're in an organization, you might find out that the people who are your peers or even those that may be, if you will, quote unquote, a level not as senior as you may be destined for much greater things. I knew that when I worked in a larger organization like the U.S. military, for the most part, future senior leaders were already earmarked years in advance. People would look and said, see that person? That person to be wearing stars today or someday. And they got there. It wasn't necessarily because they were preordained, but these people had built their networks. I had a commander who worked for me had, I thought, an outstanding record. I looked and I said, hey, do you have any admirals that are working with you? And he rattled off about seven different names. I said, you're fine. And he went ahead and he is an admiral and he's done quite well. What was interesting, though, is that I think that we miss a point in that as we move up our careers, the critical skill sets change. I can see that today. I didn't see that back then. And so up to a certain level, your promotions will be based on your technical skills. Beyond that, then your promotions will be based on your management skills. Past that point, your promotions are based on your leadership skills. But at the very top, your promotions are based on your political skills. And these skill sets are are, are orthogonal. It doesn't mean because you're a great technician, you're going to be a great manager. And there are great managers who couldn't lead people out of a burning building. And one of the things to keep in mind then is build up this political awareness. Make sure that you understand that not only the people above you, but as I said, your peers, and of course, even the people who are working for you need to see you as a person who is reliable, a person who has a future here, who is able to, if you will, punch above their weight in terms of their insights or decisions their recommendations. And as a result, you'll find yourself much more likely to be on these short lists for people who are considered a special opportunities.
0: Yeah, we used to say, know what hill you want to die on right? Mm-hmm. And, and you think about it this way, do what your career can handle, right? There's sometimes you're going to do something that's really big and important to you. And other times you need to understand those consequences of what happens when it goes wrong, right? And, and having that astuteness of the politics is really important to, to make, make it to those executive levels. And as we think about it, there's another one in here, and we're going to call this number six learning to operate effectively under stress. As a cyber leader, you're going to oversee an organization like an incident response team, like a cybersecurity operations center. And with that means you're going to have incidents. You're going to have people clicking spearfish emails. You're going to have vulnerabilities in your system that people are trying to attack. You're going to have Dare I say it, data breaches you might experience in your career. And when these things happen, it's very stressful, right? We have to respond to regulators in very short time windows. We have to bring awareness to non technical people who think, I spent all this money on software security. Why am I not secure? And it's stressful, right? So when we have all of these things, we need to be effective. We need to bring that calming voice that says, don't worry, I got this. You know, that, that Tom Brady in a, in a Super Bowl, that Joe Montana who can come back uh, from amazing circumstances and win in those Super Bowl events. Having that ability to operate effectively under stress is what really sets apart an executive with presence. G Mark?
1: And that's not always apparent. One of the things we used to say in the military is you can't really tell how people respond in a combat environment until they're actually in a combat environment. They may have a perfect record. They may be straight 4 O's or A-pluses and everywhere and look great on paper. And when the bullets start flying and the bombs start dropping, they just curl up at a ball and, and, you know, whimper like a puppy. We don't know that. And other people who you'd look at and say, yeah, this person, I don't even know why we hired him, ends up being spectacularly. Effective under times of stress. And so, what that tells us then is that stress can be discontinuous from your normal skill set. If we are constantly operating under nice, controlled circumstances, we don't get to develop our muscles, if you will, for how well we respond in a stressful environment. And when everybody else is in a stressful environment, there is going to be a search. For leadership, somebody who can maintain their presence, somebody who can maintain a sense of calm, and can be very concise and direct in terms of what's going on. Now, there's sort of a joke about that. It's called the Navy Law. It says, if you can keep your head about you when everybody else is losing theirs, you obviously don't understand the situation. Uh, but let's not go from that perspective of missing the point to being able to be the person who can make that happen. You get a call that suggests that perhaps there has been a phishing email that looks to be contributing to a ransomware attack, which is now starting to break out into your enterprises. What do you do first? Do you quit go ahead and say, a conference, let's get everybody together, we'll schedule a Zoom meeting to discuss. No, you've got to be able to respond right away. See, preparation, identification, containment before eradication, we're gonna contain. Let's pull the plugs, pull the wires, disconnect everything, and be there in a role where people recognize that things are happening.
2: Why do you want to practice this? Under normal circumstances,
1: dialogue is fine. Ross, would you do this for me? Well, why does this need to get done? Here's an opportunity for learning. Well, it needs to get done because of this, this, and this. Well, couldn't it be done that way? Yes, it could be. That's fine when things are routine. But when you're facing a stressful situation where something's about to break or blow up or go, Horribly wrong, you need to be able to operate in a different mode. Ross, do this. Yes, sir. Not that I'm pulling rank on you, not that I'm being superior. We're coordinating and we're aligning. So if you are the person who is viewed as the expert in terms of the knowledge base, and you've got people who are working with you, not as I said, with you, not for you, that are helping to accomplish the organization's goals. Practice scenarios where there are situations where you've got an artificial stressor placed on there. See how people respond. And from that, as a leader, you can identify those people who are calm under pressure, those who need more practice, who will be able to get better under pressure, and perhaps those who never will.
0: I I like this. You know, I think there's a little bit of value in this. And and you just think of a 911 uh, desk, right? You get somebody who's calling in, they're under a lot of stress, and they need help from a security organization or an incident response organization like 911. Well, their ability to remain concise, to just get the exact facts so that they can respond in a playbook sort of way... Really allows effectiveness, and it saves lives. So, so having this is is a key thing that helps. Mm-hmm.
1: And hopefully, we don't end up in the life and death situations. Maybe for another time, I'll tell you some stories where that literally had saved lives because of an ability to stay absolutely focused on what needed to be done without letting any emotions or any distractions take place.
0: All right, so the last but certainly not the least is making sure your appearance isn't a distraction. And at first value, you can just think of your physical appearance, right? We we talked about this before that if you come in and you look like a college kid, people aren't going to think that you're the expert on something. It's just not what they're expecting, right? Especially if you're trying to inspire people to follow you. And, and, and to go the other way to the other extreme, it doesn't mean you have to wear a, a suit and tie every day either. You know, there There's a happy middle ground of what the office norms are, and you want to fall within that, right? Now, you can also have your own bit of flair and unique personality too, but don't go too far out of the norms if you want people to follow. And, and in addition to the physical piece, we also need to think of what other things might be the appearance of us. Well, if I'm writing emails and everybody says, Ross has all sorts of typos and it looks like he can't freaking write a sentence. Well, there's an appearance there that I'm uneducated, right? And if Mm -hmm. I'm doing PowerPoints and I got a lot of poop emojis and other things in there that are not really appropriate, well, now they're going to think that I'm more of a kiddish or I'm a practical joker instead of how I might want to be perceived as the expert as the one who can really provide the gravitas and that presence to lead us forward. G. Mark, what do you think?
1: And let's go back to those four orthogonal skills that I spoke about, technical, management, leadership, political. If you're listening to our programs, you're probably farther along that channel than most. At the technical level, appearance may not be a problem. For example, my son is a pen tester. He's got two sand certs. He loves doing pen testing. He is a red teamer through and through. And over the past year and a half or so, uh, he has grown out what I call like the Smith Brothers cough drop beard. I'm sure there's better terms for it. But this huge, big, bushy beard looks pretty cool. And he says, looks the part of a pen tester. I said, yeah, but how are you going to close deals that way? Well, I I look like the hacker. And in fact, he got a security education opportunity. One of the clients said, hey, could you address the customers and address their employees showing what hackers could do? But that's a very limited role. I run a business. I do CISO work. I go ahead and interact with people who are very successful, who have made a ton of money, who will continue to make a ton of money, who are making decisions that affect the lives of many other people. If I want to play at that level, I have to play by those rules. And I'll agree that I can show up in t shirt and jeans and a scraggly beard and flip-flops if I'm the founder, CEO, CTO, and I got a couple million dollars worth of stock in the bank because this was my idea. But in general, you play to the audience that you want to go to. If everybody is wearing shorts, maybe wear jeans. If everybody's wearing jeans, wear slacks. If everybody's wearing slacks, wear a sport coat. If everybody's wearing a sport coat, wear a suit. Try to be just slightly notch, a little bit better. If you're going to be speaking to an audience, be at least as well-dressed as the best-dressed person in the room. You want to be able for people to look at that and say, hmm, this formality of appearance or this formality of writing style, or anything like that, conveys a sense of, oh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to come up with the right word here, and of course it just fell right off the, the train here, you know, great train of thought, but it conveys, if, you want, if, if gravitas is not the word, a sense of responsibility, help me out with this one, Ross, here.
0: I would say professionalism.
1: Professionalism, okay. We could edit it out, but we're not going to, because we come live to <laughs> you for these things here. But professionalism, absolutely. And again, if you've got the right word and it comes right out and it flows very nicely, that's wonderful. But also don't be too mechanical. Don't be so unreachable that people don't think that you can be interacted. So there is a happy medium in there, but given a choice between making your appearance a distraction or making it subordinate to who you are and your role in your message, I would subordinate it.
0: That's right. So it, it really provides that confidence too, right? I, I don't know about anybody else, but if I look good, I'm like, man, I look good. I feel powerful, mm-hmm. right? And, and then that just naturally carries off in my charisma and my ability to do well. But if I go and I'm like, oh, I didn't even get a shower today. I feel terrible. I think that just, it, it's like these little subtle mind tricks that, that play against you, right? So it's, it's a quick win you can do for yourself.
1: And if you remember from our talk, we talked about influence. And Cialdini's six elements of influence. One of them is authority. We tend to be influenced by people that we perceive to be in positions of authority. And in general, we assign a neater, more formal appearance to those people who tend to be in authority.
0: So let's kind of do a a recap here of the seven items that we've talked about for building executive presence. First, having a vision and being able to articulate it well. It really sets the tone and allows you to connect with others. Second, understanding how others experience you, having good composure, requesting feedback, and really being able to understand where you're making mistakes so that you can course correct 3 building your communication skills having good communication skills lends to your credibility it allows you to be effective in your role and it takes practice so practice 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 and get better on your communication skills next become an, become an excellent listener we talked about a variety of active listening skills that you can look at to develop and grow in. And as you do that, don't just be there in in thought, be there in, in, in presence, right? Really engage and learn, want to be there. Next, cultivate your network and build political savvy. Remember, your network is your net worth. Focus on having charisma, focus on being able to go from those senior management levels to those executive opportunities by building the political skills and alignment that help you navigate your organization. Next, learn to operate effectively under stress. There's going to come some incidents in your organization, and your ability not to flounder during those times is what's going to set you up for future opportunities to lead bigger parts of the organization through harder challenges and bigger incidents that may come. And as you're concise and you bring that, that gravitas, that really helps the organization. And last but not least, make sure your appearance, both in what is visually perceived and what is heard, is not a distraction to others, right? Be confident. Bring that presence that you want in your leaders.
1: Ross, thanks for, for going over this. We'll have some notes available for everybody if you want to take a look at that. And I believe we have reached the end of today's program. So for all of those who have taken the time to engage with us at CISO Tradecraft, thank you. We hope that we're adding value to your careers and perhaps even to your personal life, master these skills and techniques. Please tell a friend this week or two. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, please do so so we can keep you up to date on what's coming out, what's coming next. So until next time.
0: Thank you again. We love you as our listeners. We appreciate it. And we're glad to provide you CISO tradecraft. Hopefully you can use these skills to build the future that you want in your career. Thank you again for listening. And we look forward to another great episode and spending time with you. Thank you.